This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, December 7th. I'm Mary Margaret Olihan. And I'm Kate Trinko. Texas has been in the news for its heartbeat law, which bans abortions after an unborn baby has a heartbeat. But less covered have been the efforts of Aubrey and Brian Schlackman, who want to help pregnant women in crisis. About a year ago, the Texas couple had an idea to start a maternity ranch that would be a loving and safe environment for single pregnant moms who need a fresh start. The couple joins Virginia Allen to explain how their ranch works. But before we get to Virginia's conversation with the Schlackmans, let's hit the top news stories of the day. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced Monday that all of the city's employers must mandate COVID-19 vaccinations for their workers. De Blasio said on MSNBC, We in New York City have decided to use a preemptive strike to really do something bold to stop the further growth of COVID and the dangers it's causing to all of us. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as of December 22nd. The Justice Department is taking legal action against Texas. Here's what Attorney General Merrick Garland had to say via the Washington Examiner. Today, the Justice Department has filed suit against the state of Texas for violating Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. As the Supreme Court has observed, a core principle of our democracy is that, quote, voters should choose the representatives, not the other way around, close quote. Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act requires that state voting laws, including laws that draw electoral maps, provide eligible voters with an equal opportunity to participate in the democratic process and elect representatives of their choosing. The complaint we filed today alleges that Texas has violated Section 2 by creating redistricting plans that deny or abridge the rights of Latino and black voters to vote on account of their race color, or membership in a language minority group. Vanita Gupta, who is the Associate Attorney General and the number three at the Justice Department, said per Axios, Texas's population grew by 4 million people from 2010 to 2020, and 95% of that growth came from minority populations. Despite this significant increase in the number and proportion of eligible Latino and Black voters in Texas, the newly enacted redistricting plans will not allow minority voters an equal opportunity to elect representatives of their choice. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton tweeted, The Department of Justice's absurd lawsuit against our state is the Biden administration's latest ploy to control Texas voters. I am confident that our legislature's redistricting decisions will be proven lawful, and this preposterous attempt to sway democracy will fail. The White House has announced that it is boycotting the 2022 Beijing Olympics over China's human rights abuses. Here's what White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters on Monday via the recount. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games, given the PRC's ongoing genocide and crimes against uh, humanity in Xinjiang and other human rights abuses. While Team USA athletes have the Biden administration's full support, according to Psaki, the White House will not be contributing to the fanfare of the games. Stay tuned for Virginia's conversation with Aubrey and Brian Schlackman as they discuss their maternity ranch. My name is Claire Marker. I'm Jonathan Ski. 
And I'm Natasha Chunyowski. And we're, and we're interns, interns at, at the Heritage, Heritage Foundation. Foundation. The Heritage Foundation Young Leaders Intern Program gives college students and recent graduates the opportunity to work for America's leading conservative think tank. Intern opportunities span from research and writing to filming and editing videos, creating social media content, organizing heritage events, and much, much more. I'm Paloma Chacon, and this semester I'm interning in Heritage's communication department, and every day I get hands-on experience in audio and video editing. Every Heritage intern has the opportunity to participate in weekly first principle seminars and policy briefings. You will hear from leading experts on the big issues facing America today. The Heritage Foundation offers housing for all interns right in the center of Washington, D.C. And the best part, it's a paid internship. So if you want to apply for next semester's program, visit heritage.org, click on About Heritage at the top of the page, and then click Careers. You'll find the link for the Young Leaders program there with all the instructions on how you can apply today. I am so pleased to welcome to the podcast Aubrey and Brian Schlackman, founders of Blue Haven Ranch just outside of Dallas, Texas. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Now, your story, I think, is so fascinating and really exciting. I, I just recently learned about the work that you all are doing. If you could just go ahead and explain what Blue Haven Ranch is, which mm-hmm. you all call a maternity ranch. What is a maternity ranch? Right. Well, um, we coined the phrase. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had never heard about it and we even researched it and there's nothing, nothing out there. Yeah. So it was um, really just something I think God called us to. And I think Brian and I just have a unique um, gifting and purpose and so we've been married 11 years, but this has only been in the last two years that this has been something on our hearts that we've been working towards. So um, we we had the idea in January of 2020 when God put it on our heart to, to create this space and um, the programs that would basically involve caring for single pregnant mothers with children specifically um, for their pregnancy and then up to a year postpartum um, is the big part of that that's a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's unique. Yeah. And so, um, but the ranch part really comes into play with having this space enough, obviously, to care for the families, these mother-led families, um, but also just bringing in that sense that I feel like God uses nature to create a calming sense of peace mm-hmm. and healing. And so we want to create that space for these families that are coming out of abuse or abandonment, lots of trauma, um, just to give them a time of of a break um, to, to build from there. So... Um, that's the idea and the goal. We're not there yet. <laughs> we just started taking moms uh, in January of this year in oh. 2021. Um, and the whole process that started was in our home, like not being able to house them yet, but being able to do support groups, mm-hmm. cook meals together, have a Bible study, um, and basically be able to pay for two months of maternity leave per mom. But very quickly, God just showed his blessing and support of what we were doing. And so... We moved forward pretty quickly, and by March, we were able to start housing moms in apartments. Wow. And so um, we have five families currently. Mm-hmm. This is our first year. That you're housing in apartments, right? That now. we're housing in either apartments or rent homes. Okay. Um, and that's kind of just the space that we're sitting in, in this middle ground of like being able to do ministry right now um, with the resources that we have. And we continue to do support groups on a weekly basis and um, help them with bills and rent and car troubles and childcare and 
which is which it looks a lot different right now from what it's going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to to add a little bit of what Aubrey is talking about, we we thought of this idea because we're very hospitable people. We've always been that way from the beginning of our marriage. We always tried to find a way to have an extra room in our house for people in need. Uh, and we did single, like hone in on uh, crisis pregnancies just because we had been uh, heavily involved with human coalition and young lives mm-hmm. uh, in our in our community. And our church, the village church, is very strongly about not just, you know, yelling out, we're pro-life, pro-life, but they get in those areas where people are in need and they help them. Mm-hmm. So it's just always been in our DNA since we've been married. Mm-hmm. But we also love, we've always wanted to own acreage and have a, have a little, you know, small functioning ranch uh, for ourselves. And we thought, well, if God's calling us to do this and we need an area for moms to heal and to be in a private area, to be safe mm-hmm. and also have some kind of, therapy, nature therapy. We call, we call it farm therapy, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought, well, let's just combine the two. Mm-hmm. And uh, we then realized when we logistically looked at what we would need, um, we realized, oh man, we actually need a ranch. And so we are actively looking for a hundred acres or more uh, in the area that we live because we want to stay in the location that all of our resources are in and all of our volunteers we have been able to find land that's two hours away, but then mm. now we don't, we can't, we can't remove the moms from their situation yeah. or from their environment and expect them to go right back into it after being gone for a year and a half. Right. So we keep them in their environment. We give them a home. We give them a safe place. We have programs that they are going to be a part of that's going to help them with cooking, counseling, children, stuff with the children, um, getting them involved in seeing if they want to change their career path, mm-hmm. give them the time to do that, all while living on a fully functioning ranch. And then one of our board members convinced us that it would be a really good idea. Nonprofits can still create a product that they can sell to cover the nonprofit costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that our set next stage after we get everything fully functioning, we're going to um, probably sell cattle and raise the money ourselves but still have fun produce and and produce and and chickens and like we already do that on our property right now we built a greenhouse on our property Mm -hmm. Uh, we have half an acre in argyle Um, we have a chicken coop that i built and we give eggs to the moms we give produce to the moms Mm -hmm. it's going to be first for the moms but then we're going to create an actual product Mm. to raise money and we still will take donations and we'll need donations, but it's definitely going to offset the cost heavily. Yeah. So where yeah. it's literally self-sustaining. That's so huge. That's such a wonderful idea to think to think in terms of ministry. Is, okay, how can we actually make this self-sustaining? Right. Yeah, because that's, so that's what we want to teach the moms. Exactly. That's the big part of like the pregnancy, of course, is the, is the crisis, mm-hmm. you know, because that's when so many of these moms are met with. Um, especially since we serve moms that already have kids, there's not first time moms. In fact, most of our moms are older. Um, mm-hmm. our youngest mom is 27 and our oldest is 41. So they've already been moms for a long time and then are somehow met with a situation where they're pregnant again, that could be in a, uh, abusive marriage, mm-hmm. um, or a relationship, um, or they are divorced moms and then had a boyfriend and happened to get pregnant again. Um, and then just those men in their lives were like either 
violent to the point of like, we have to leave to protect my children and my baby or completely abandon them. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's not so far outside of the scope of understanding, especially myself as a mom that like, like how how would I do this if I didn't have a loving supporting system around me as I do. And I have two children. Um, How, how would I make that? I mean, I, I would want to make the choice for life and I would, but like, what is the cost of then? How do I, continue that like and so the purpose of what we try to do differently is that one year of after the baby's birth all the way until the new baby's first birthday to give the moms the time to create a new life plan with yeah like brian said maybe that's a different job training and trajectory like we have moms that do just survival jobs like working at gas stations or cleaning homes or something like that and that's not something that they can sustain for another 20 years Mm -hmm. um I mean, they already don't get to see their kids enough since they're working moms. Mm-hmm. And if they're not even making enough to survive, it makes that decision more difficult. So it's not often a, a, a decision that they're faced with because of um, convenience. It's more of a, I don't know how I'm going to survive with my children I currently have. And I know what a blessing children are, but like, I don't know how I'm supposed to face this. And so that's where we felt called to step in was to be able to create a space that then also helps them transform their lives to be self-sufficient and independent. And so we want to give them the tools while we also do that for the ranch itself. Yeah, that's so practical. Now, when it comes to, you know, kind of the the long-term vision that you all have, so Mm -hmm. are are you picturing that, you know, you're going to have the ranch and there'll be, you know, multiple homes set up where where women can come and and live during the course of that year Mm -hmm. with with their newborn baby? Mm -hmm. How many homes would would be on that property, you think? Uh, So... I'll, I'll speak on this a little bit because this will be what I'm the director of, which is operations and ranch care, simply because in this ministry, it's difficult to be able to minister one-on-one to women who have been abused by men. Yeah. And so uh, I'm definitely a behind-the-scenes servant kind of guy. Which is very important. Yes, <laughs> and, I, and I, I like that. I don't need to be... <laughs> in the spotlight or anything like that. Um, But what we plan on doing is having what I would like to see is between eventually, like the the build out of 100 acres, you could only have between 15 to 20 homes. But they would be, they wouldn't. Cottages. Cottages. They'd be probably a thousand square feet. Mm -hmm. Like they're not going to be massive, but they will be efficient. Mm -hmm. Only because there's going to be a lot of people living on this property. But then we will also have a very large and because we're in Texas, we're going to have a, a, a barn dominium type large community center to definitely set the mood right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> make it and feel like the Texas. Farm make style. it feel like yeah. Texas. Like, yeah. They wake up randomly like, I guess I'm in Texas. I see that. I see that. I see that. Um, Hear so, the roosters crowing in the yeah. background. So we will have a community center and then we will have at least three host homes with our family being one of them that will be in the surrounding the cottages, just kind of as protection. But there's also going to need to be families uh, that have a husband and wife and children Mm -hmm. that are doing certain jobs on the ranch, whether it's the ranch work or ministry work, and having time with the families and taking care of the families so that these mom and children can see that a healthy, stable, Christ-centered family is, is beautiful and is helpful and is what is the norm. Now... A lot of these women won't possibly have that. But as long as there are families around these kids, 
where we can invest time into them and change the legacy of their trajectory and help these kids learn and understand who God is, how much he loves them, and then how other people are meant to help other people, Mm -hmm. you know? And so these children will grow up much better planned to face life knowing that they have support and love and care. Mm -hmm. And so host homes are very important on that. And then there's obviously going to be a, an actual barn for, you know, livestock work in a shop. I need my shop. Yeah. You gotta have your (laughs) workshop. Um, I just think one of the biggest things that got impressed upon us as we were doing this was as Brian kind of mentioned, but like, um, I think so often the abortion topic is, is taken outside of the realm of men. Like you don't have a say, you don't have a purpose, um, in this fight. Um, but I mean, when I see these moms and the five that we have currently that we take care of, um, it is the men that have put this in them in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is, um, it's difficult and it's hard. And so I absolutely think men have a role. And I think to be able to fight, um, especially for the moms, but the children that were in that difficult living situation that have not had supportive fathers, um, for them to be able to see positive male role models that can, who, who do it, who live out, like, this is what it looks like to care for a family and to take care of your family and to love and serve and provide, um, they don't probably get that as much, or at least they have an opposing view of what men should be. Um, and I think when you see families grow up without a, a positive male role model, it, um, it, it becomes, you know, a, a problem. And yeah. so um, that's a big part of it, the host homes. There's another part of our program that's really dear to my heart is we have um, a grandparent program where I specifically ask for um, men and women who are empty nesters to step into that role of kind of almost adoptive grandparents. Mm-hmm. And they just get to come and be grandparent roles to these to these families because most of them, the reason they're in this situation is they don't have grandparents that are either alive or supportive. Mm-hmm. And really when you look at the social structure of families in, in any culture, when you have grandparents, they play a big role if the mother is a single mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have that, then they're left to their own. And um, I mean, grandparents have such profound influence on their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, it's a huge loss. And so we want to be able to provide that through our volunteers. People mm-hmm. don't realize sometimes how truly alone some of these moms are. Yeah. yeah. They have literally no one to go to. Mm-hmm. And so when you're facing a hardship, and this does get into more of the fact that we are in a time this week where abortion is definitely in the news, um, you know, it is never okay to take a human, a, a child's life because of anything, but I, I can def, I, I'll never know what it's like for a mom that cannot support even her existing children and now be pregnant and not know what to do. And feel forced. I could, and mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that fear and that pain. Um, and that's why there are a lot of women who who've, we've spoken to that did get abortions and they had guilt. They were not happy about it. There are not a lot of women out there that want to do this. There are lots of women that are in desperate need that need help. And it's, it's, uh, it's just devastating that we, uh, that we, that this culture doesn't think first of how we can help the mom. Um, our pastor, uh, Matt Chandler, uh, down at our church in, in Flower Mound, amazing, 
amazing advocate for uh, pro-life movement, um, but also very gracious and kind toward the women. Um, and he, he, he helped us realize that there are over 130 pregnancy advocacy centers in Texas alone, 130 of where a woman can walk in and say, uh, I can't do this. I need help. And they say, we've got you. There's only 18 abortion clinics. Hmm. So the narrative where people think that if you're pro-life, you're not pro-woman is an absolute lie. Mm-hmm. And so we are making this now become a culture shift. Mm-hmm. And we're going to help people see that there are things that even regular people like Aubrey and myself. So normal. We are, we're like <laughs> as normal as can be. Like I'm not popular. I'm not rich. I'm not a celebrity. Like I've got, I'm not really anything. And we started this just on our own and the community support around it can really help people see that this can be multiplied anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywhere. It does. It just, it could, it starts in your home. I mean, you just invite people um, to dinner mm-hmm. and, um, Maybe even, you know, making it a regular thing. If this is something on your heart to serve single um, pregnant moms and you're like, I don't know what to do, reach out to your pregnancy centers and be like, hey, I just want to host dinner once a week or once a month and start creating a community and a space where even after these moms have left the pregnancy center and their resources, like they still feel like they have community and that you can um, help provide them some kind of of safety. Mm -hmm. Because that's really what we all want is all of us is to feel safe and to be in a community where we feel known. Well, and I love that you all have taken such a practical approach. You've seen a need and you've said, hey, I think we can meet that need. And you've stepped up in practical ways. And as you both mentioned right now, of course, the abortion issue, it's front and center. We're hearing arguments for the Dobbs case heard this week. Texas has been in the news repeatedly this mm-hmm. year because uh, of the heartbeat bill that right. bans abortion after a child's heartbeat is detected. From the women that you all are talking with who are in these crisis pregnancy mm-hmm. situations, have any of them, you know, personally said, hey, you know, I, I need help now because of, of Texas's new legislation because of this law? What what mm-hmm. are their thoughts? What are the thoughts right. that you're hearing from women in Texas about the, the heartbeat bill? So. I really feel like God put this on our hearts, um, kind of going back to um, Esther, you know, and referencing for such a time as this, because we started this before the heartbeat bill. Um, I mean, the vision was given to us back in 2020, and we started, um, of the five moms that we currently have, we had four of them before the heartbeat bill, um, and the fifth one is only more recently. And so they aren't personally affected by the heartbeat bill, but I can tell you that um being on kind of the 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 ground floor of this, um, I get one to three applications a week. Oh wow! Um, and just because I mean we're we're brand new, you know, I can't I can't take them. We don't, have you know, we money. don't have the. I mean, yeah. I mean the funding to to support the moms that we do have is 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 amazing, and I can't believe in our first year we've done this. But um, I mean, I, I work with a network of other maternity homes and other pregnancy advocacy centers in the Dallas um, area. And I mean, we all have resources and we have to grow those resources to meet the need. That's just the reality of of when abortion will be illegal. Other things have to come and take the place of that. And there are 
um, so many pregnancy resource centers that are already out there doing this kind of thing and other maternity homes. Um, but we all need funding and we all need help. And I honestly believe that more people will rise up to meet this need to create something um, similar or maybe even totally different, but meeting that same need mm-hmm. of, of, of these moms because um, that's the calling. That's where we have to step into this space. Yeah, well, I think we've heard we've heard this debate back and forth with the pro-abortion movement has kind of for years been saying to the sure. pro-life movement, well, OK, if if Roe v. Wade is overturned, what are you going to do right. with all of those children? What are you going to do with all of those babies? This, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And we're not waiting until that's overturned. Yeah, that's the thing. And here's the unfortunate truth. No matter if it's illegal, it's always going to be here. Mm-hmm. That's the sad brokenness of this world, this fractured society that we live in, it's still going to exist. But what's going to, in those times, what's still going to be more beneficial and more attractive to a woman, and I hate the word attractive, but it's hard to, it's hard to communicate it. Even in those times where they're still going to find a way to illegally do abortions, we still have another option, mm-hmm. and that's to take care of you and to help you rebuild your life. And that does not matter what the law is. And we will do this doesn't matter what the law says, unless there's a law that says you you can't support women in need, <laughs> which would be absolute nonsense. And if we all as a country do that, just think how much better yes. this world to empower will single be. moms. I mean, what's more feminine than that Absolutely. to be able to empower a mom to have a baby, to have a job that she can do to be able to take care of her other children um, independent of needing a man to help her. Um, and I think that's what Christ calls us to do. Um, as he says uh, that, you know, true religion is this to care for orphans and widows. And I think, you know, our modern day widow are these, all of these abandoned and abused single moms. It's, you know, all marginalized people. Mm. That's mm. what it is because back in the early uh, church, you, if you were a widow or you were an orphan, you were marginalized. Mm-hmm. You were not taken care of. Mm-hmm. And people don't even realize that there are these women with children that are in such desperate need. And we've simply just opened people's eyes to this. Yeah. And it's and that's why I, th- I think that's why people see what we're doing and read the things in the newspapers of our different segments that people have done and say, what is this? Because that's exactly what we're pulling out of people to help them see and really awaken this this desire to care for others in a in a functional way, mm-hmm. not just throw them money. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't we're do actually it. helping these women become empowered, mm-hmm. and that's very different. And people will get on board with that. That's why people are usually have a disdain for government programs. They don't really work that well, and there's no regulation. So. It comes down to the to the person, to the to the unique people. And I just think, if anything, to encourage anyone listening to this, that, you know, if you feel a calling on your life to do something, I mean, it literally just starts in your home, Mm -hmm. you know. And, yeah, that's a risk. Of course, that's a risk to invite strangers into your home. Oh, but guess what the Bible says about that, too. Yeah. (laughs) To do it. To do it. (laughs) And, yeah, it, it takes a step of faith. But I can't tell you, I mean, the greater joy that comes from creating relationships from people that you didn't know. I'll probably get emotional about this. You already are. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Just the people that you learn to love that you didn't know and to step into their worlds and allow them to step into yours. 
Um, it's very special. I told uh, Mr. Vice President that we just met with before this that, and this this is what really impacted me when when kind of when God spoke this to me. Everything about my life, we are when you are born in America, you already are born with a lot, even if you are impoverished. This is truly the greatest country in the world, and I love this country. Um, but the fact that I was born here with a mother and a father, even though I, my my parents were divorced since I was two, they still loved me, and they still had the resources to care for me, give me food, give me clothing, let me go to a good school, teach me about being responsible, loving others, caring for others, every type of education, and then having the ability to to go to college, get a job, all these things, I didn't do that. They were given to me. Like, I, of course, I worked hard, but even my ability to work hard was taught by my parents and given to me all this blessing. And there are just some people that were not born with that. And the thing that we have to take away from that is not that they obviously didn't do anything wrong, just that I didn't do anything right to get what I had. Mm. But what I am going to do is that God put on my heart that everything that he's given me, I'm now going to try and make that a way for someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is what we're called to do. And that's also what this ministry is doing. Mm -hmm. So at this moment in history, what is your message to the pro-life movement? That it has to become personal. And yeah, if you believe in the process of pro-life, then you have to be pro-love and you have to be pro-mom. And you have to enter into that space with her and hear her story and her struggles, um, her trauma, and be able to sit in that space and just say, I love you, and I'm here for you, and we're going to help you move through this. Um, and there are so many, many women that want that. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there are women who have become so traumatized that they don't realize that they do want that. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard space to also sit in when you can't help someone if they don't want to help themselves. But there are so many women who need a hand up and not a handout. And they just need that time and that space and that security to be able to, to grow. Mm-hmm. And you have to, and, and that's a, that takes something from you, mm-hmm. you know? And something. so if you are one of those people that you're like, I want to do something, it has to be creating a sense of, of space and community and, if, you know, for other people that will be doing the thing and for other people that will be funding the thing. But you have to to step into that space and be like, OK, well, I will open my homes, my home once a month um, and I will let my local pregnancy resource center know that I want to invite these moms in. We're going to cook food and have a dinner together. And I want to sit and hear their stories. And then when I hear their needs, because they will have needs, mm-hmm. they will have massive oh, amount yeah. of needs, whether that's car trouble or childcare or jobs or they don't know how to write a resume or any of that. Like then being able to, I I don't, Brian and I don't do this by ourselves. We have a huge amount of volunteers that do this with us. Like we could could not do this and, but people want to use their giftings Mm -hmm. to help other people. And so you just start from, from who you know, and then you talk to your, you know, your church or your community or, or wherever. And you're like, okay, well, I know so-and-so who can help you with this. And you just start connecting people. And that's the biggest way that you can help is just doing it for yourself. For those listening, 
who, you know, maybe they live in Texas, maybe they they live in California, they live in New Hampshire, and they're saying, I want to help what you all are doing at Blue Haven Ranch. I want to be a part of this. What do you all need? And then how do they get the information? If they want to send you a check, how do they do that? Right. Um, If for locals in Texas, if they want to volunteer, how do Mm -hmm. they do that? Yeah. So um, our website is pretty simple. It's just bluehavenranch.org. Um, we're also on Instagram and uh, Facebook at Blue Haven Ranch. And you can donate on our website. And, yeah. And we can... are a fully uh, IRS 501c3 organization on our own. Yeah. And what is the most pressing need right now? Right now is is literally for the five moms that we have, we're six months funded in this current operation. And we house them currently in apartments because we don't have the land. Mm-hmm. So if I would say there was two needs, I would say the first need is the fact that I can't take any more moms until I stay more and more funded because we, you know, housing a mom and paying for all their bills um, is a is a big upfront cost. Mm-hmm. And so with all the applications that I, I had to turn a mom down this week, I, I don't have the resources to bring her in. And so, I mean, literally, if you wanted to make a difference, um, it costs us $3,000 a month per family to support them. That's um, a lot of resources. That's a, you know, yeah. up front. Now, the more resources that I get, we have the programming in place. I just need the, to be able to pay for the housing because that's where they're needing is that safe space to live. Um, so that's the immediate need is to continue growing the space that we can add more moms to the program. Um, but really, the long-term goal is we need the land. The land is, uh, the, the ranch is the vision. That's where the community aspect, the safety, the healing is going to be most effective. And so uh, we do need, we have begun campaigning to take in money for the ranch specifically, um, but it is going to require um, a, a lot of money. Yeah. And I always say we want to give these women the best of the best, not just the extras. Yeah. And so we are wanting to get the land in the area that we have our resources, which are our volunteers and then the jobs and um, education for these moms and the, the schools for the kids. We can't be two hours away. It's just it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. And so the land is more expensive close to the city and we don't care. God can give, a, give us the money because it's his money anyway. Right. So we uh, we we're looking to for just the land alone for 100 acres is between three and five million. And then uh, to to. To build out that many homes, we're not going to build all 20 homes at once, but to uh, build the community barn, the host homes, the sewage systems, uh, all that stuff. I mean, we've been in contact with several people that are going to help us is another five million. So we're looking at least $10 million. But again, that's at a $10 million upfront cost for an organization that is eventually going to be Mm self-sustaining, primarily, you know, over time, which is amazing. To just give $10 million and you're actually changing an entire community's way that they help support moms without having to just continue to dump money into it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we're going to still take some donations, but we want to be self-sustaining. So those are our current needs is current funding for taking care of moms and then the build out. Um, So for the build out alone, it's at least $10 million. Tell us your website one more time. Yes, it's bluehavenranch.org. And Bluehaven you, you can send a check. You can write the check to Blue Haven Ranch mm-hmm. for however much you want to give. And it's tax deductible and everything because yeah. we're 501 But there is a, an online donating okay. platform, At too. At bluehavenranch.org. Thank you both so much. This has been Thank an you. honor. Really, really Thank appreciate your time. Thank you so much time. for letting us speak about it. Oh, yeah, of course. They were really passionate about this, obviously. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that'll do for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.